Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. David, welcome to Motherfucker, the Irish for Podcast, brought to you by the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm Dark O'Shea. I'm joined again by Garajean McAvoy. Hello. You all know Garajean is one of the regular contributors to Motherfucker. She used to work in Terma.ie, working on new terminology entries for the Irish language. As well as that, she's doing a PhD in DCU on law and minority languages. Yes, that's it. And Garajean, you um, experienced with the Irish language. It wasn't something that came easy to you. Do you want to talk about more about how this happened? Yeah, um, I don't know if I'd say it wasn't something that came easy to me because I have a different interpretation of that. But okay. um, I, So I have dyslexia and uh, traditionally... Um, in Ireland, you are automatically exempt from uh, Irish learning Irish in secondary school when you are dyslexic. And there's a lot of reasons around that. But um, I didn't come to, I always knew that I had dyslexia from, my, my dad is dyslexic. And we just, I was never assessed for dyslexia until I went to university. So I didn't uh, apply for that exemption. I wasn't assessed at secondary school for various reasons. And so never became exempt to uh, Irish and Kirtling, you know, my my background, as my background says, I have a, I, I speak Irish fluently, I, I worked in terminology, I love the Irish language and um, it's something that uh, is, is a huge part to play in my, my life and, and where I am now. And funnily enough, I think I owe a lot of that to being dyslexic, which is something that baffles a lot of people. The first thing that people always say to me when they find out that I have dyslexia is, but how did you study Irish? I mean, it's so hard. And then, and this is one of the things that with Irish, the um, there's a big difference between how Irish is spoken and how Irish is written. For example, Peg Sayers couldn't read and write in Irish. She learned to was read and write in English in school, but spoke Irish fluently. And it, there's there seems to be there's historically been like a, a kind of fissure between the spoken word of Irish and the written word in Irish. Right, and I understand where that comes from. And um. When I was kind of thinking about this uh, all along, and, and it's something that I would have explained to people before understanding the science around it. And as it turns out, my understanding of my relationship with Irish actually correlates a lot to the science of it, because it's something that's called orthnographic depth. And that sounds a really fancy term for something that's quite simple. But essentially, some languages are really transparent and some languages are really opaque. And what that means is, say, for example, English, when you look at a word in English, there's no way of telling exactly how that's pronounced unless you know how to pronounce it. So, Like island or salmon. 
Exactly right. Or uh, one of the ones that um, I find that's really indicative of it are two words, hood and moon. So the double O in those words is pronounced completely different, despite the fact that they both begin with consonants and end in consonants. They're short words, and yet they're pronounced completely different. And there's no rhyme or reason why in English. This is like George Bernard Shaw's famous example of spelling fish with G-H-O-T-I, because you take the G-H from tough, the O from women, and the T-I from election. Right, exactly. It's There's just no logic. Like, in logic, there is none. And so some languages are considered to be transparent. And in Europe, the most transparent language, I believe, would be Finnish. Whereas in Finnish, if you have seen a word that you've you've never encountered this word before and it could be you know 40 letters long but you will know exactly how to pronounce that because there's only one way to pronounce you pronounce every letter there's no silent letters all of the letters are pronounced in a particular way and therefore you you have it immediately whereas english doesn't have that benefit and so for me when i was growing up i would always i remember being small and being a child and reading and when i came across a word that i didn't and it still happens now as a 25 year old adult when I see a word that I've never encountered before, I have this internal panic and I will skip it. And, you know, it's a bad habit to get into, but that's just the way that I would have coped with it and always coped in English. So when I was growing up and learning Irish, I always struggled because there's all of these silent GHs and DHs. And um, mm. we've spoken before about this and I have a very strong opinions on, on letters in Irish. Um, but that's because when I kind of discovered the rules of pronunciation in Irish, Irish is a lot more transparent than English. So okay. when you know how to pronounce a word, when you know how to pronounce a, a, a string of letters in Irish, it doesn't really vary that much. Obviously, there's different dialects, um, so that's an issue. But if you have a particular dialect, you should know how to pronounce that word. So for the fir- when I kind of became aware of this and discovered it, for the first time for me, and this is getting a little bit deep, and <laughs> I think it's almost a little bit sweet that for me, it was the first time that I felt at home in a language. It was the first time that I felt, you know, I get this. Finally, there's a language that's not trying to catch me out, that's not trying to trick me, mm-hmm. that doesn't make me feel stupid. And that's kind of where my love of language developed because for the first time, there was a language that I was learning that wasn't trying to trip me up. So I think without Irish, more than likely, I wouldn't be where I am today um, because I was learning French, at, you know, in, in secondary school. But it didn't give me that feeling that Irish gave me um, as a mm. young teenager that suddenly I, I, I fit in, suddenly it made sense. So um, I am so thankful for Irish for giving me that. And, you know, my, my life since then has been completely enveloped by languages and uh, my, my PhD is based on languages. I worked in translation and, you know, because of the way that Irish made me feel and made me feel like I belonged there. And you were only diagnosed with dyslexia when you'd already passed your leaving cert or excelled in your leaving cert. <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, I was speaking to a relative recently and, and uh, someone in her family is, is currently going through the process of being diagnosed as dyslexic. It's it's kind of hereditary. So my, my dad has dyslexia. And so that's kind of where we, we knew that I was always dyslexic because I would have excelled so much at particular subjects. But if you give me a list of words that, um, say there's one word misspelled and you have to pick out the misspelled word, there is nothing that will give me more stress than that kind of exercise. Mm-hmm. So spelling and grammar, knowing my left from right, giving, taking directions, I'm so bad at that. And But excelling at other things, mathematical things or, or scientific things. And that's why it was kind of considered that, oh, she can't be dyslexic because, you know, she's she's good at school. And um, my my relative currently who's, who's going through this is um, in the same boat. People just assume that dyslexia 
has this connotation of, well, you're dyslexic. It means that you're not so good at school. And that's not the case at all. And that's why I'm reluctant to describe dyslexia as a learning difficulty, because I really hate that term. Not because it's, it doesn't pose difficulties, because it does, but because of the connotations that people attach to it. Um, so I don't feel dyslexic. It's just a personality quirk, if you will. I, I suppose it's something issue I feel closely about. Obviously, like when my own daughter was diagnosed mm-hmm. with Down syndrome, I was when people were referring to a disability and clearly there's a there's definitely fragility there. But I'm really starting to think of it as a different kind of normal. There's no one thing that she won't be able to do, but there's things that she might have difficulty with come around a different way. But there's not it's not a case that say she definitely can't see or taste or things like that. And I think of it really it's important to think of these things sometimes as a, as different kinds of normal. Exactly. Yeah. There's and and even on the dyslexia spectrum, I would be quite mild in comparison to other people. My dyslexia is mild, but it's it's say a little worse than other people you know there's there's different categories of it and different abilities and different inabilities and maybe I'm lucky in the sense that my dyslexia was mild and is mild and that means that I'm more adaptable to traditional schooling in the way we have it in Ireland um but then again uh that doesn't mean that you know it's a that doesn't mean that it makes things easy it's just I have to find a circumvent my way to study and to learn and to look at things so I'm very good with patterns and and color and that's why for me, Irish, I could find this pattern in pronunciation. And suddenly, you know, this language was was for me. It, I, I felt like I said already, I felt like I belonged in this language because there was all of these patterns that I could cater to my needs and to my specific learning abilities. I was supposed to start off with this question earlier. What, what exactly is dyslexia? <laughs> so dyslexia, it's a little hard to define because there are so many variances of it and how it affects people. But like I said, it is considered a learning difficulty. Um, and it's I would have trouble in the way that I say read um, or spell or write. What kind of happens for a lot of people is the words tend to move on the page for me. And traditionally, it was considered to be an eyesight problem that, you know, the words are moving around is the way dyslexic people would have described it. And they're moving around, you know, maybe if there's two or three lines down, there's a horse. I'll read it as house and then they'll, they'll jump around. So it's a little bit difficult for for people like me to to read in a traditional conventional way um it depends on your dyslexia but for me the way it manifests itself is i would have to read everything twice once to get comfortable and a second time to actually retain meaning mm-hmm. and then things like left and right i can't tell my left from right um it's just really difficult when i did my driving test i actually had to write l and r on my, my hand well yes yeah, i guess clay because i did it in irish <laughs> but um on my hand and i told the driving instructor please point because i was under pressure it's really difficult when you're under pressure to to tell left from right um which my driving instructor did uh, take on board he's very kind about that um so things like that giving directions taking directions is difficult but map reading is really easy for me or drawing a map is really easy so I'm quite visual in the way I learn and the way I operate unless um I suppose written um uh, ri- yeah written or or spoken um which is ironic then because I go on to do a PhD in law and language so <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm probably overcompensating there's a psychological assessment there somewhere possibly it's well it's been very hard earned I suppose um, <laughs> the most famous dyslexic person in the world is Richard Branson Really? I didn't know Richard Branson was one of us. <laughs> Very one of you. And I think the fact that, I suppose, and he mentioned this is in his autobiography, a lot of entrepreneurs actually have some sort of form of learning difficulty in school. And often it's the case that having intelligence but maybe not being suited to actual formal education standards means often that 
they don't meet entry requirements for certain jobs, uh, but at the same time, maybe are smart enough, but also um, resentful of systems enough to actually be enter disruptive systems. I'm not sure if that's a, one of these positive stereotypes that can be unhelpful, yeah. but it, 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 I know. But I think he, he's onto something there because I think that for me, I have always had to find a way around the way traditionally we would have been taught in school you, there's a way around it and I have to find that way so it's almost a problem solving technique that I would have to when I was learning Swedish for example I would write all of my AR verbs in orange and all of my ER verbs in, in different colours so that I would remember the colour as opposed to remember the verb so it's it's just finding a way that suits you and um, yeah so there is that element if, if you are keen to learn it and if it is something that you know depending on your level of dyslexia some people just aren't adapt to it and that's you know that's totally fine but for me I was interested in learning and something that I really wanted to do and again it's probably a sense of overcompensation um, but I would always be keen to like I said circumvent the the normal rules and find a way that that fit with me. And you mentioned your dad has dyslexia and he would have presumably gone to school at less understanding time. Sure and I, I do feel like my dad is thinks in the way I do as well and he's brain would operate quite similar to me and his dyslexia is it's probably worse than mine but I wonder is that purely because he went to school at a time where he was just considered oh he doesn't want to learn you know so we won't try with him and that was purely from a lack of understanding um mm-hmm. so my dad is really imaginative and really visual and uh uh, the same as I am with directions and things and I feel sorry from my dad's a postman so when you're lost who are you going to ask for directions the postman yeah. my dad will immediately panic <laughs> because he has to point left or right or say you know go this way or that way so it is difficult for him but uh, yeah no my dad did unfortunately go to school at a time where dyslexia was just non- non-existent people didn't know what it was and so he didn't reap benefits um, in saying that now I wasn't assessed for dyslexia but people were much more aware of the problems that that could exist. So I was, um, I was lucky in that sense. And I, I, like I said, also, it's milder than my dad. So um, I just, through a perfect storm, was, was lucky in the way that things worked out for me. But yeah, um, the older generation would have struggled a lot more. Um, and it's, it's quite um, unfortunate, but nowadays it's great that even, my, like I was speaking earlier, my, my family member who is being assessed, um, all of the resources she has now are just so amazing. Like people are aware that they have these little small they're like acetates, like yellow toned acetates that you fit over your words. And for some reason, dyslexic people tend to be able to read better on yellow paper as opposed to on white paper. So she's using that to read and it's the, the resources are fantastic nowadays. So it is getting better for, for people. Caroline, how many languages do you actually speak? You've mentioned Swedish, <laughs> Finnish, Irish and French there. I don't speak Finnish. I can swear and talk about alcohol in Finnish. Um, <laughs> I speak Swedish to a min- uh, like kind of a mediocre level. I speak Irish, English uh, moderately well. And I have currently begun learning sign language, which is a lot of fun. Excellent. And which version of sign language do you learn? Irish sign languages. As Irish sign languages I'm learning with the... Uh, the the Deaf Society in Cabra are fantastic and I um, uh, had my first teaser class last week so it was very good. really enjoyed it. My wife and I have just started learning love which is loosely based on our sign language yeah. and it's it's great so far. I have to remind myself to I suppose keep at it at sure, the same time yeah. using those symbols. Uh, obviously this is an audio podcast so there's no <laughs> point me showing you what milk is or what English is. The English, the sign, Irish sign language for English is very good. Look it up. <laughs> yeah, we got to tell you to look it up because, like you said, it's this is radio. But um, yeah, so languages are so. Again, I wonder is it's probably 
definitely overcompensation. I mean, I'm always very conscious of being labeled as stupid because I'm dyslexic. Uh, so I've gone on to do a PhD, so nobody can contradict me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Take uh, that world. Exactly. And based on language. So uh, like, I'm sure I would love to be just, maybe there's a PhD in assessing my my uh, attitude to language. But yeah, I love language. It's um, it's my, my life, essentially. And um, yeah, so I think advice wise, what I would have for anybody with dyslexia is obviously everybody's different. Everybody's ability with dyslexia is different. And somebody with more severe dyslexia might find Irish completely impossible. But I don't think that it's any more difficult than any other language. And on, like I spoke about earlier on um, ethnographic depth, it's no more, I suppose, difficult than French or German. And I found myself it to be a lot easier for me. To, like I said, it, it was where I was home. And um, so there's this kind of assumption that languages are not for dyslexic people. But of course they are in the same way that anything would be. Um, it doesn't change your, um, for me anyway, it didn't change my ability. It just made it different. So um, I think maybe the, I don't know if, what research has been put into this idea that Irish should be exempt for people who have dyslexia, but um, I would love to see um, maybe a, a reassessment of it because it, it opened so many doors for me and uh, I would love to see it doing the same and I would hate to see anybody being deprived of those opportunities that I had because they are dyslexic. For sure, and I, I think the fact that this was the, the experience you've had with Irish and things like that might shine light on how it could be taught to other people. Sure, exactly, and uh, obviously... Um, where I came from, where I discovered Irish and the pronunciation, it came from a very oral, aural um, uh, place. So the speaking nature of it was what made it make sense to me. So um, that's something maybe to consider as well. Um, you know, different ways of teaching people with dyslexia and different ways of opening up language for them and for us um, and how we work with that. So, yeah, I don't think language is off the board for anybody with dyslexia, but um, maybe a, a reassessment of the, the situation we have is, is what's warranted. Excellent. And before we finish up, do you have a favourite and least favourite Irish word or term? Um, my fa least favourite? I don't know. Um, I love Irish. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like the terms that are a kind of just makey up anglicisation, um, like shakuzi. <laughs> was the Irish for jacuzzi at one point. I think it's gone from Termodaddy now, but when I was working there, it was one of the, mm. the words we worked on. Um, and my favourite word was definitely smuggler own. I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it? Isn't it seal snot? Seal snot, Yeah, that's and that's, right. if you've ever seen a dead jellyfish on the, the shore, that's what it looks like. Mm -hmm. um, so smuggler own is my favourite. It certainly doesn't look like jelly. I think we all agree <laughs> on that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but um, I love the onomatopoeic um, qualities of Irish. I think it's just so beautiful that it's, you can almost tell what a word means, but just by l hearing it, um, because it's just so onomatopoeic and I, and I quite enjoy that about, about Irish. Good stuff. Guardian, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. So it's Slán from me. And a Slán the O from me. Start again, and Guardian's still with me. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in today's podcast, you can visit dyslexia.ie and they've got some really good resources there. Excellent. I want to thank Brian for producing us today. And I want to thank Kirsten Shield for doing the artwork for today's podcast. If you enjoyed today's program, please like it and subscribe. If you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, there's plenty of stuff on the Headstuff Podcast Network. 
may I recommend, Juvenalia, in which Alan and the gang meet a different interesting person every week and discuss a piece of pop culture that influenced them as a child or young person. Thank you, and goodbye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. 